This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Freshly back from Cleveland, Ohio, I would imagine with uh, a summer tan and maybe like, um, you know, uh, uh, one of those flowery Hawaiian shirts. That's that Cleveland is known so well. Cleveland, right? Yes. Of course. <laughs> Sam the, Dykstra, the Futures game is in the books. The Futures game, the All-Star game, everything's in the books. And uh, we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show. I'm Tyler Mon. Sam was in Cleveland, got a chance to uh, to do all the fun stuff. How was it, man? It was good. It was good. Cleveland definitely showed rocks. up for the... Is that what you would say? Cleveland rocks? Cleveland rocks, yes. Sure. Let's go with that. Everybody's favorite Drew Carey show, which was a favorite of mine growing up. But anyway. Uh, no, it was great. Like uh, Cleveland really did a great job as a host. I feel like the entire city was really centered around the all-star game and the all-star experience. And, um, you know, everybody was wearing an Indian's cap. Uh, I know it's a great sports city and, you know, you talk to anybody from Cleveland, that's what they'll say is, you know, we're big sports fans there and that's definitely true, but they put it up to 10 over the weekend, which was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did a lot in the city itself. I don't know what would have happened if I was there for an extra day or two, but um, there's definitely enough in Cleveland, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, obviously did that, uh, to, to tide you over for a couple of days. And then, hey, the, the reward at the end was the Futures game on Sunday, which was a lot of fun and something we'll get into here in a little bit. We will dive into that here momentarily. Thanks for joining us on the show before the show, wherever you found us at MILB.com slash podcast or on iTunes, Google Play, everywhere else. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription, and you can get in touch with the show as well. Podcast at MILB.com. And, uh, yeah, let's kick it off. Three strikes for this week's episode. We are diving in with the Futures game first. A 2-2 tie after eight innings, the uh, 2019 MLB All-Star Futures game, which was uh, or the Sirius XM Futures game, I guess I should clarify. The uh, format reduced to seven innings for this year, and then everybody was like, yeah, we're not going to just play seven innings. <laughs> and, uh, and it went eight. Um, pitching, fantastic. Some of the best arms uh, in the minor leagues really, really shining very brightly in the, uh, especially on the National League side. I feel like the bigger names, maybe, uh, on the National League side kind of put themselves out there uh, from Mackenzie Gore to Ian Anderson and Dustin May was fantastic. Uh, but, Sam, you were there. You got the, the front row view. Give us your impressions of the 2019 Futures game. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing this game is going to be remembered for is it was the first game played under several new formats, really. We used to go from the U.S. versus the world. Now it's AL versus NL. Um, I think that worked really well. Uh, they also changed it in terms of when the start time was. This was moved after the celebrity softball game. Um, so it started at seven o'clock. I think it was the only baseball game going on at that point, at least in terms of national coverage. Um, so that was kind of good to put it on the national stage in that way. Uh, but the the one that didn't work out was that it was supposed to be seven innings, like you mentioned, Tyler. Uh, through other sources, I'm sure, and um, other factors, 
they wanted it limited. I think mostly to just take out the possibility for any injury. Uh, you cut off two innings. Teams decided to go an extra in- inning anyways. Uh, it was funny sitting around the press box as the game got close. You know, a- after Sam Huff hit the game-tying two-run homer in the bottom of the seventh, everybody's frantically saying, okay, well, what are the rules here? Um, we all kind of assumed that they would be the minor league rules in which a batter is automatically placed on second base with no outs to start the inning, and that was true. Um, but there was also the decision made by the higher-ups that it was only going to be limited to one extra inning. That's how we end up with a 2-2 tie. Uh, but in terms of individual standouts from the game, Sam Huff, like I mentioned, he ended up being named game MVP. I believe that's called the Larry Doby Award. Uh, that, and he showed up because he was the only guy to home, hit a home run in the game, which is funny because last year there was a record set for most home runs in a Futures game. The wind was definitely blowing in, but I think a lot of it also had to do with just the stuff that people were throwing. Um, I also had a funny conversation after the game with Taylor Trammell and Carter Keeboom in which they both played in the game last year. And I said, what was the difference? Last year was a slugfest. This year's was a pitcher's duel. And Taylor started making a a whistling noise like the wind. And then he was like, well, also the pitcher's really good. And then Carter just looked at me and said, well, this is baseball. Like anything could happen day to day, no matter what. So he's like, we play this game tomorrow. We hit another eight home runs. Today was just the pitcher's day. Last year's was the hitter's day. That's the way it goes. Um, But Sam Huff hitting that home run, guy's six foot four, uh, tons of power in that. He was among the minor league leaders at the beginning of the year at Class A Hickory. He got moved up to Class A Advanced Down East. The power he has shown is the reason why he was in this Futures game. Um, Another reason why is because he was listed as a catcher. He actually got moved to first base. The AL side went up to him and said, hey, would you mind playing first? He didn't have a first baseman's mitt. He had to go to the other team, the NL team, and get Will Craig's first baseman's mitt. So that that little versatility that he has is going to make that bat play even more and give him more chances. Uh, At 6'4", he's probably not going to be a catcher. He wants to be a catcher. That's how he still defines himself. Um, But given his size and given his pop, a move to first base could certainly be in the cards full time down the line. Uh, When it came to pitchers, my MVP pick would have been Padres prospect Luis Patino. He was the only pitcher to go multiple innings in this game, um, almost out of necessity. The the NL side, Edward Alzale was on the team technically, but he had pitched, I believe, on Friday for Triple A Iowa, so he wasn't available to pitch. The NL was basically out of arms. They had to get Patino to go an inning and two thirds, and he struck out three. Didn't allow anybody to reach. Uh, one of those three strikeouts was getting Joe Adele to swing and miss on the final out of the game. And again, Patino is pitching in that final inning with a runner already on second base. And that runner, I believe, was Royce Lewis, who is a plus-plus runner. Anything that gets falls in the outfield, he's probably scoring on. Uh, Patino limited hard contact, got the strikeout, uh, was throwing in the upper 90s pretty easily. Uh, you know, taking advantage of this showcase in that you know you're only going to go for a limited amount of time. You can throw a little harder. You can show off your stuff. He definitely did that. And, had, you know, kind of opened my eyes to him. Uh, Tremel had maybe the most fun part of the game. Uh, he was last year's Futures Game MVP and you know was a little bit more comfortable in the environment. He'd been through it before, he knew what to do. Um, he knew that his skills could play uh, on a, you know, a playing field like this one. So at one point in the game, he reaches third base, 
He notices it's Chris Bubich on the mound, a Royals left-hander. Left-handers aren't really watching third base that much. He watches one pitch and then go, turns to Omar Vizcala, who's coaching third base for the AL team, and says, I think I'm going to go. And Vizcala's like, all right, well, you saw one, so you have the green late one. You want to do it. And he went. He tried to steal home base or home plate in a futures game. It was a straight steal. There wasn't like a sign on. It wasn't a suicide squeeze or it's safety squeeze or anything like that. He just went on the pitch. And I think the crowd kind of tipped it off because everybody got to their feet. Everybody saw him moving. It was like, whoa. And Bubich immediately saw it and threw home and they tagged him. Replay said it was looked like it was safe. It looked like he got his hand in there. Uh, you know, the, he, was, he was called out. It was a close play. It was a bang-bang play. Tramel, to his credit, said after the game, it's a Southern League umpire. He knows that umpire really well. That umpire does a really good job day in and day out. Um, he wasn't about to blame him for it. He knows there's there, there's a lot on the line for that umpire was, as well. He's not going to get angry about it. But in a 2-2 game, knowing that this exciting play would have decided it for the NL, that, that Huff homer wouldn't have even mattered, uh, is something to look back on. Um, in terms of other pitchers who took who stood out to me, uh, Nate Pearson did what Nate Pearson does. Uh, he touched 102 at some points. He was throwing 101 at others. What he was most proud of is that he was able to show off the slider. He knows he's a fastball guy. He knows everybody else knows he's a fastball guy. Um, but when you're in a showcase like this, you want to show you can do other things. So he showed off his slider. I think at least two of the outs were with the slider, uh, maybe the third as well. So he, he seemed to come away with the experience uh, positively and happy with what he was able to do. Uh, Joe Adele reached base three times. He walked twice, got a single. He also made a nice catch in right field. Uh, kind of stumbled a little bit before it, but made a nice recovery and made a nice diving catch out there on the grass. Sixto Sanchez hit, hit triple digits as well. Dustin May was throwing 97, 98. Uh, so, you know, th these guys were taking advantage of the opportunity in front of them. A lot of them maybe have played in, on a major league stadium or in a major league stadium before on uh, showcase circuit stuff before the draft. Some of these international guys haven't done it. Maybe they've taken BP after they signed, something like that. Um, but a lot of these guys really do go into it with bright eyes and, and trying to take it all in and trying to know what that feeling is like to play under the big lights in front of 30,000 plus who are all there in Cleveland. Um, so in terms of the game itself, disappointing 2-2 tie. In terms of the prospects who got to show off their stuff, Really fun to take away from that and get to see these guys at the peak of their abilities all compete against each other. And strike two this week is Futures Game related. Uh, actually, a handful of participants who have been bumped up levels, um, either the news coming right before the Futures Game or right after the Futures Game or over the weekend. But guys that we kind of expected once we got to this stage of the season, they'd be moving on to the next step. Uh, two names really big among those. Mackenzie Gore, the top San Diego Padres prospect who just dominated the Class A Advanced California League for the first uh, half of the season. And Luis Robert, the Chicago White Sox outfield prospect, He'll be at his third level already this season. Gore is headed to the AA Texas League. Robert is headed to the AAA International League. Uh, not a huge surprise with these two guys. I think for Mackenzie Gore, this almost feels like way overdue at this stage. Oh, way overdue. Way, way overdue. Um, I had a tool shed a couple weeks ago that said, here are some guys who sh we should be expecting to move up soon. It was all-star break time in m most of the minor leagues. Uh, and that's about the time we see guys move up is that they get their recognition and then they, they move on for new challenges. 
the Padres allowed Gore to get a couple more starts, and I'm sure there are people in the, the Cal League who are upset about that. He actually ended his run in the Cal League with two scoreless outings, one going six innings, the other going seven innings, which is a career high. Then he moves on to the Futures game, finds out at the Futures game he's not going back to the Lake Elsinore. He's going to Amarillo. But the numbers he put up over his time in Lake Elsinore are just insane. Uh, he had a 1.02 ERA. Mind you, this is in a hitter-friendly league. 110 strikeouts over 79 in a third innings. He, opposing batters only hit 137 against him, and he had a 0.71 whip. Now, in terms of minor league pitchers with at least 50 innings pitched, and there were 400-plus of them at the time I wrote this story yesterday, he was second in ERA, whip, average against, and strikeout percentage. Uh, he needed something new. Uh, I had Padres fans in my mentions at times, which was kind of strange. You know, normally, uh, fans like seeing their players pushed. Uh, with Gore, they were like, why would you disrupt this? He's dominating. Just let him dominate. And it's like, no, he's going to become a better pitcher if he learns what won't work. And that's right. what's going to happen at the Texas League. He's gonna- yeah, I don't really get the logic behind, oh, just keep him at the high A level. He's good there. Yeah. Like, don't you – kind of want him at the big leagues at some point. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we normally push back against the, hey, just call him up to the to right, San Diego. Exactly. Normally that's the, oh, bring him up now. Well, no, there's some work to do before that. Right. Um, yeah, that's an odd take. Yeah, he's going to do some things in the, in the Texas League that, you know, he was able to get away with in the Cal League. I think, I don't, you know, it's a one-inning look, and I don't want to put too much into it, um, but – Gore was a little bit iffy at times and with his command on Sunday in the Futures game, um, and that's facing diff- different hitting. He, he went up against Joe Adele and walked him, uh, and then he erased Joe Adele on a pickoff caught stealing, which worked out pretty well. So uh, he still ended the, the inning clean, no hits allowed. Um, but, you know, that's something he's got to take away is Joe Adele is a double-A hitter right now. He's going to be a little bit more patient. You can't just chuck your stuff and assume that they're going to be off balance and hacking. Um, you know, you're going to have to find the zone. And that's something Gordon normally does well, but he needs to do it more consistently. Uh, so that's something that's going to be a little bit of a point of emphasis here at AA. And, you know, he's going to make some mistake pitches that are going to be hammered. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, he, de- he didn't make many of them in the first half. He only gave up four homers in 79 and third innings. But uh, some of those pitches I'm sure he made in the Cal League are going to get hit in the Texas league and he's going to adjust and become a better pitcher for it. So he needs that next challenge as good as it was. And as much as I would love to see what type of video game numbers he could get, uh, back in the cat league, it's going to be a better environment for him when he moves up to Aaron Murrell. I'm really looking forward to the challenge for him. Uh, his first start will actually be Friday, uh, at Frisco. So if you're in the Frisco area, you won't, want to see a really really good pitching prospect go see mcgensior on friday um the other one you mentioned tyler is luis robert moving up to triple a charlotte this we knew before the game even happened um 56 games at double a birmingham obviously came flying out of the gate previously at class a advancements salem held his own at, at birmingham hitting 314 362 518 with eight homers and 21 stolen bases uh, wasn't necessarily a star on Sunday in the way that we would have liked, but again, one game doesn't make or break a prospect. He has been solid from beginning to end this season. Um, somebody else who just kind of needed a new challenge, and he'll certainly get that at AAA. He's going to face guys, some of which have just come from the majors. 
Um, so that'll be really fascinating to see what he can do with that because I think the biggest strides he's made this year have been with the hit tool and that's what gets challenged most the higher you climb. Um, so Robert's going to have to work that out, you know, getting pitched backwards. How is he going to be ha- handling that? Uh, but one interesting wrinkle is Charlotte might be the most hitter friendly ballpark in uh, the International League. So he could still put up some bonkers numbers there. We're just going to have to pay attention to the splits, see how much of that is happening at home versus places like Durham and Norfolk and, and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, very interesting. Very happy to see these guys move up a closer uh, one step closer to the major leagues, uh, see what happens when they get these new tests and how they respond. If they respond how they have almost everywhere else they've played, we're going to continue thinking about them as some of the most exciting prospects in all of baseball. And strike three this week, kind of some bummer news out of the Houston Astros organization where baseball's 48th-ranked overall prospect and fourth-ranked in the Houston system, Corbin Martin, uh, will miss the rest of the season and a, quote, significant portion of the 2020 season after undergoing Tommy John surgery last week. Uh, The Astros announced that on Friday. Um, The surgery was on Wednesday, and 10 days earlier – Corbin Martin departed his last start, which uh, was at the time just kind of deemed to be an elbow injury. He had uh, discomfort in his pitching elbow and the right-hander undergoing surgery about 10 days later. Um, This obviously sucks. I mean, uh, the Tommy John thing sucks for anybody. Uh, But for Corbin Martin, who really seemed like he was kind of on the verge of of breaking through and um, being a contributor at the the major league level, he's already been up there for five games this season. Um, This really stings for uh, a guy who was at that last stage of his development. Yeah, no, I think you put that well. Um, you know, he was somebody who basically cut the line almost. Uh, beginning of the year, we all thought, when is Forrest Whitley going to come up? And Forrest Whitley obviously had his stumbles. He's dealing with his own injury issues right now. Uh, but Corbin Martin all of a sudden gets called up in uh, the middle of May. And, like, he he was looking like a major league option. He really was. His first outing, he struck out nine in five and a third innings. Um, was showing improved stuff. Three of his pitches are above average. He's got good control. And, you know, starting to pick up and he hit some bumps along the way. He ended up having a 5.59 ERA over five starts with the Astros before getting sent back down to Round Rock. But he was on the picture. And this is an Astros team that is competing for something. They're leading the AL West once again. Um, You know, maybe he can work his way back into the rotation if he was going to be healthy or work into some sort of long relief role, maybe something like what Josh James did. He doesn't have the same velocity as James, but uh, he can hit the upper 90s at times in shorter stints. So maybe he was going to be something around September when rosters expand, trying to push for a playoff role. That's not going to happen. And also the timing is just the worst because, as Tyler said, you know, when Tommy John surgery happens, we think, okay, that's 12 months. That's a year. Bang. That's exactly how much you're going to miss but he comes back and then they're still going to be working up to it so let's say he does miss a year he's coming back next july but at that point he's throwing two or three innings and trying to show major league readiness it it might not be until 2021 until we can talk about corbin martin being a real threat to to be back in a major league rotation which is really upsetting given how close he was and how much he actually was in the Houston rotation at times this year uh, to see that cut is really upsetting and disappointing for him. But, you know, 23 years old, not that old, not that young 
necessarily for prospect status, but not that old. He'll, he'll be back next year at 24. Oregon is back way back. And if it is until 2021, then we're talking about him being 25, which still isn't that bad. So uh, hopefully it's it's a quick and easy recovery for him and um, he can come back and be the pitcher he was through the first half of the season. Um, but yeah, disappointing news over the weekend for Corbin Martin. And that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, Sam's got a, an interview from uh, Futures Game slash All-Star Week. Give us a preview. Yeah, so uh, I always like being in the, at, at the Futures Game, not just for the game itself, but just it's so cool being in the locker rooms and seeing and looking around and just seeing all these guys we cover on a day-to-day basis just around you all at the same time. Um, somebody I wanted to talk to on the podcast for a long time is Grayson Rodriguez. Orioles top prospect won't be the top prospect long when Adley Rushman gets added into the mix. That'll be he'll be officially the top prospect. But Grayson Rodriguez having a fantastic first season there at Class A Del Marva. Uh, we get a, into a little bit of what has made that Del Marva team so successful uh, because they were one of the teams of the first half having a great first half. Uh, he talks a little bit about why that is, and also you know he's a first round pick. He has a little bit of pressure on him, but he's responding incredibly well, moving to the futures game this quickly in his career. We touch on that as well. So here he is, top Orioles prospect, speaking from the American League clubhouse at the Futures game on Sunday, Grayson Rodriguez. So uh, what's the experience been like so far here in Cleveland? Uh, you know, it's been great. Uh, some people say this is a big league experience, I guess. You know, you get to, you get to feel it for a day. But, right. yeah, I mean, it's been nice. What's been the most eye-opening experience part of it so far? Uh, you know, probably just getting into the stadium. Uh, walking into the big league stadium, you know. Uh, this is my first time. First time being in one uh, after the day I signed. So, uh, you know, it's just a great feeling walking through the tunnels. Uh, you know, the field looks beautiful. It's a nice stadium. And it's, it's been a great experience. Yeah, what's it going to be like pitching out there with a third deck, something you, like you said, you haven't done before? What, what do you expect that experience to be like? I don't know. I've never thrown in a big league stadium before. Uh, this will be my first time playing in one, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. So uh, how do you kind of keep in the moment, then, when you are going through new experiences? like you've had so many in the last year. What do you do to kind of stay grounded? Uh, you know, just keep it simple, I guess. Uh, you know, the game doesn't change. Uh, the setting does, but, you know, just to go out and play the baseball game, you know, uh, pitch, pitch like you know how to throw it. you got to take me through this last year. You, you get drafted last year. You're already at the Futures game. I'm sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind. What has this last year been like? Uh, it's been great. Uh, you know, it's, it's very rare uh, to make the Futures game during your first full season, but... Uh, you know, I was I was kind of surprised when uh, they let me know I was going, and you know it was a great feeling. Uh, you know, the hard work's paid off a little bit uh, so far, but you know, you know, just got to keep going. When did you find out? Um, my manager, my pitching coach, told me uh, about a week and a half ago. Oh, okay. All right. What was your reaction? Like, was that even something on your radar whatsoever? No. I mean, I didn't even know what to say. I guess I was speechless. <laughs> All right, so kind of take me through this first half then in, in Del Marva, your first time full season ball, first time pitching every fifth day instead of every week. What has this kind of been like, the transition to the, that aspect of the game? Uh, it's been smooth so far. Uh, 
know, I had lots of people tell me what to expect in the full season. Uh, it's very helpful. Um, and it's just more of a real baseball season, I guess. I've never been uh, exposed to anything like that, and so far I love it. And you flew out of the gate. I mean, you, you were doing really, really well through April, May. Even now, obviously, your stats are good enough to be here. What's allowed you to make that transition so well? Um, you know, I guess just throw the game you know how to throw. Uh, trust your coaches, uh, great staff. The Baltimore Orioles are headed in the right direction. Uh, analytics are a big thing now. Uh, when to throw pitches, uh, what pitches to throw to certain hitters. Uh, you know, it's all, it's all helped me tremendously. And when you say analytics, what's something you've taken away from analytics that you've implemented into your game that you weren't doing necessarily in high school or something? Um, I guess numbers, aspects, facing hitters, uh, what they can do well and uh, what I can do well and, you know, throwing my good stuff to their weaknesses. So when do you get that information? How does that kind of trickle down to you? Is it you pick the information? Is it something you go to them? How does that kind of whole process work? No, I mean, they, uh, they provide everything. Uh, you know, obviously they give you, they give you suggestions, what they think you should do. Uh, and, you know, it all just ties in together. And uh, what's kind of been the state of the Orioles system? Obviously, it's rebuilding right now, adding a lot of talent. This draft, this previous one, your draft, added a lot of talent to the pipeline. What has it been like to be part of a rebuilding system that, where the focus is so much on the minor leagues? Uh, I mean, it's great. Uh, you know, we have lots of focus. Uh, it's, it's been something special. Uh, you know, they're really putting a lot of time and effort into the minor leagues. Uh, you know, it's been great. Uh, just the developmental side, like I was saying, analytics, uh, it's such a big part of our, uh, it's our, of our organization now. And, uh, being able to use that's been, it's been, uh, it's been nice. Yeah. What is it like being in the Baltimore system where, I mean, you've only gotten a taste of it so far, but Delmarva, Frederick, Bowie, Norfolk, they're all around that Baltimore area. What is it like being that close to a fan base? Um, it's great, uh, you know, being in Maryland, uh, lots of uh, lots of uh, Baltimore Orioles fans. So uh, the fans and all the home games are great throughout the organization. Uh, you know, lots of Orioles fans, lots of people. Uh, you know, being positive, uh, being able to watch the minor league teams play. And being a Texas guy, what did you know about Maryland before going there? Not much at all. Not <laughs> much at all. So you tried the crab cakes yet? Are you a crab cakes person or? I've tried a few crab cakes, but uh, I hadn't had too many of them. I, okay. guess I, need to, I guess I need to start trying them more often. Fair enough. So we talked a little bit about analytics. In terms of stuff, where is your kind of stuff taken off now that you're going through bullpens and side sessions and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> preparing for games? How has your stuff improved the last couple of months? Um, just how to execute pitches. Uh, worked on a changeup. Uh, you know, from the analytical standpoint, it's helped me tremendously. Uh, learning how to throw it, uh, when to throw it. And you know, just kind of fine-tuning pitches. It's a lot easier to see stuff on a computer and numbers uh, rather than just feeling it. I guess some guys say, uh, you know, you're, you're able to see it and uh, figure out how to make it better. And that change-up, that's something a lot of high school guys do have to develop their first year. What are you doing to kind of develop that pitch? What are you doing with it now in that side work? Uh, mainly focusing on the, the spin axis. Uh, you know, the axis.
axis at which the ball spins. Uh, being able to get it on that three o'clock horizontal line uh, has been a has been a big thing. Uh, I practice every day, uh, every time I pick up a baseball. And how comfortable do you feel throwing it now? Is it still developing pitch? Is it something you feel as comfortable as you do with your fastball slider, breaking pitches, or is it not there yet? Uh, I'm in love with it. Uh, I, I feel like now I can throw it in any kind of count, uh, beginning of the count, late in the count, three, two, whatever it might be. Uh, I'm fully comfortable with it now, uh, and it's it's really helped me this year. And how do you approach a game like this, where it's you know a showcase, it's your chance to be on national TV, like you said, a taste of major league stadium. What do you do in a game like this to kind of, what are you going to be thinking about when you make make your uh, appearance on it? Uh, you know, just to go out and throw, uh, not really worry about anything else. Uh, it's pretty easy to get caught up in everything that's happening around you, and I feel like if you do that, you might get nervous or you might start worrying about stuff that really doesn't matter. And uh, but you know, just go out there and just compete, compete with the best of the best. And on this last one, well, actually, to piggyback off that, who are you looking most forward to facing potentially on the NL side? Uh, you know, everybody. Uh, they're stacked over there, uh, and so are we. Uh, both teams are great teams. Lots of big talent guys. Uh, you know, and I'm just ready. Whatever hitter it might be, you know, I'm ready to face them. I'm excited. And that Del Marva team has been very, very good in the first half. How much are you guys talking on a day-to-day -day basis? Hey, we are the future of the Baltimore Orioles. You know, the success is going to come from this team, Frederick. Those lower levels as you guys rebuild. Uh, you know, it's been fun. Uh, we've had a great year down there. Uh, just winning lots and lots of ball games. Everybody's playing great. Team chemistry is phenomenal. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to show up to the clubhouse every day. Uh, you look forward to it. You know, 7:05. You get that game that night. Everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting for that moment uh, so they can go out and you know do what they love to do. And you know, it's just been a great year. What's been your favorite moment of the first half? Um, First half, probably winning it. Uh, we clinched. We clinched in West Virginia, and you know I've never been a part of something like that. Uh, but you know the celebrations uh, and just feeling, you know, the sense of accomplishment that we uh, we conquered the first half of the season, you know, getting that automatic bid in the playoffs. It was it was special. All right, great. Thanks, Thanks. Rick. Thanks so much. Benjamin joins the show for a, a follow-up on a story that we talked about a bunch before the season, and we now have a thrilling conclusion to, and I'm very excited to dive into it. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left in conference room 5V for, for victory. V is for victory. And Sam always does say that. You know, He usually goes up to the conference room first and says, Ben, we're in this room, and he does the, you know, V is in boy. But for Sam, it's a V is in victory. Does he do that over text message? He says, <laughs> yeah. B is for boy. Yeah. yeah. In case you can't read that, let me give you the word. Yeah, you could, you could get tricky. You could be like, we're in room 5P is in psychology. Ah. You would remember it, though. <laughs> 4X for xylophone. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's get started. Uh, the Charleston River Dogs, we are recording this on Wednesday, July 10th. Last night, July 9th, in Charleston, South Carolina, finally, one of the promotions of the year arrived with Helen McGuckin Night. And if you are not familiar with this backstory, if you've just joined the show for the, the first time in the last couple of months, uh, Charleston announced this promotion before the season. 
there was a woman on Google reviews named Helen McGuckin who gave the Charleston River Dogs two out of five stars about a year ago with a review, and her review was, quote, just drove by. So the River Dogs got that review, got that rating, and uh, decided that they wanted to get Helen McGuckin out to the ballpark. They were going to blow it out. They were going to give her the night of her life. And uh, Ben, take us through Helen McGuckin night and the magic that it was in Charleston last night. Yeah, I mean, uh, Helen only gave them two stars. So the premise of this promotion is we're going to find her and we're going to make sure she has a five star night at the ballpark. And, you know, we're going to change that two star review to five stars. She's not just going to drive by. She's going to experience everything the team has to offer. Um, Yeah, we talked about this one in the past. Certainly when I was going through promo schedules before the season started, this was probably my favorite promotion um, because, you know, hey, I'm not a front office executive who has to worry about like revenue. I just like <laughs> I just Whether it's effective. Yeah, I just like ideas, and uh, the weirder the better. And this is one of the weirder ones. So Helen McGuckin night, they you know they announce it in March, they schedule it for July, and uh, the whole premise was we want to find Helen McGuckin. Helen McGuckin, give us a call. So all season long on the video board, uh, they would put this message up, you know, featuring her review and saying, Helen, give us another chance. Call us uh, with the team's front office number. You know, months went by, uh, but one of the team's season ticket holders said, hey, you know what? I, I, I do know this woman, Helen McGuckin. He helped uh, facilitate uh, Helen getting in touch with the team. Uh, Nate Grant, uh, kind of the, the mastermind, director of promotions uh, for the team, you know, he talked to Helen and kind of explained what it was. He said Helen, you know, was a little, you know, a little taken aback at first, just being like, what? But, um, you know, thought it was funny, liked the idea, said she wanted to do it. And um, Helen McGuckin night was going to be on finally, July 9th. They will bring Helen McGuckin to the ballpark, give her a five star night. Uh, unfortunately, a few days before July 9th, before the game was to happen, uh, Helen had some scheduling conflicts and uh, could not make it to her scheduled night, July 9th, Helen McGuckin night. But the team still said, you know, we still want to have Helen McGuckin night and, you know, provide a five-star night at the ballpark, uh, showing that we're a five-star organization. So they recruited a fake Helen McGuckin and gave the fake <laughs> Helen McGuckin a five-star night at the ballpark. Um, this was a woman named Cynthia, their their office manager. And they said, look, Helen can't make it. Will you just be Helen McGuckin t- tonight? And so they went through Helen McGuckin night, giving Helen McGuckin, now in quotes, a five-star evening, even though it was an employee of the team named Cynthia. Um so, you know, she had the best seats in the house, VI, well, I guess she probably parked her, whatever. She would have VIP, <laughs> she would have had VIP parking, uh, concessions delivered to her on a table with a tablecloth, mascot delivered flowers, an employee fanning her all game when it looked like it would, might rain a little bit, you know, standing over her with umbrellas. She threw out a first pitch. Uh, they had welcoming videos uh, for Helen uh, prior to the game that the players took part in, um, and on and on and on giving Helen McGuckin the five-star night she deserved, even if Helen McGuckin was not there. They still went through with Helen McGuckin night. And um, one of the between-inning contests they had, well, in one of the Helen, one of the between-inning contests, um, they asked Helen, or the woman playing Helen, you know, to pick the correct cap, you know, in the hat shuffle contest where there's a ball under the cap and they move around. Um, Helen got it wrong 
So they quickly, they acted quickly in the production room and changed the answer to make sure she got it right. That's the kind of evening Helen McGuckin was having. And then another between any contest was uh, not involving Helen McGuckin, uh, the, the the actress playing Helen McGuckin, but they had a between any contest in which um, they read real Helen McGuckin reviews from other businesses she's left, and then the contestants had to guess how many stars that review was. You know, like for the Food Lion, her review was something along the lines of, produce was good, apples were shiny, and then it would be, how many stars do you think that review was of the food line? And the correct answer was four stars. Um, so. The food line for having shiny apples got four stars. Yeah. The Charleston River Dogs for not being evidently visually appealing enough from the road got two. Got two. So right. here's hoping the real Helen McGuckin um, can, I'm sure the River Dogs, even if it's not as officially advertised theme night, I'm sure I, you know, I shouldn't speak on anyone's behalf, but I'm sure the River Dogs would be very happy to still give Helen McGuckin the five-star treatment anytime she, the real Helen McGuckin can make it. The fake Helen McGuckin had a great time, and um, I think all things considered, things worked out okay. What if, like, the real Helen McGuckin pulls, like, what you're supposed to actually do as a reviewer, uh, like a cultural reviewer, and not tell people you're coming? And she, you know, sits... Yeah. Five sections away from home plate, up the first base side, whatever, doesn't tell anybody, and then gives like an honest to God review and still comes away three stars. Like bumps it up to three. Yeah, maybe three. But hey, but maybe, hey, you know, there wasn't enough shade and uh, it was a little crowded. The concession lines were long. Right. But there's any possibility, you know, anything could happen. It could have been a rain out. Um, but I, yeah, I feel well, like there's more <laughs> twists and turns for this story than just ending it at Helen McGuckin. There really are. And uh, on one hand, this is such a weird anomalous promo. I can't see it sweeping the nation. But on the other hand, I'd like – I hope – Yeah, I hope other teams. That's exactly it, Sam. I hope I, – would. that would be my message to other teams is find your own Helen McGuckin and uh, try to take this concept further because it's pretty funny. And um, look, it's a Tuesday night. You know, It's not the best night at a minor league ballpark, but – you know, you still have good crowds, especially in July, and you want to do fun things. And so they did something for Helen McGuckin. Pretty incredible story. And, uh, yeah, if we can all find our own Helen McGuckin and just try our best to make everyone, uh, you know, take that second look. It's very philosophical, all these things. Uh, so kudos to the Charleston River Dogs. Um, ben, there's a whole bunch that you have had uh, on the site and continue having on the site from Amarillo. There's a couple of really good stories that are up uh, from your most recent trip on the road, including one uh, in which you dive a little bit deeper into a topic that we've covered on the show before, the Sod Poodles Anthem, uh, which was written by a guy named Carson Leverett, who you got to meet when you were in Amarillo. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I spent three nights in Amarillo, and I'm used to usually spending one night in locations. So now that I'm, you know, I spent three nights in a place, and I just have too much material. But the good thing is, uh, I have too much material. It's good to have things to write about, as any writer knows. Um, and you know, I'm a big fan of team theme songs. We all are. Tyler, uh, you and I, a couple years ago, did the uh, all team theme song episode, a show before the show. Uh, that was before the Sod Poodles existed. But I would say the Sod Poodle anthem by Carson Leverett is my favorite. Well, it's comparing apples and oranges, but it's my favorite alongside everyone. Everybody loves curve baseball as like my two, <laughs> my two favorite um, minor league team theme songs. Uh, but Carson is a legit talent. He's a local boot boot maker, boot maker by trade. Uh, went to college in Nashville, but a Texas guy and uh, with roots in the Amarillo area. Um, you know, thoughtful guy. He went to grad school 
well, I can't remember what he told me he went to grad school for, but it was kind of like religious philosophy. Um, you know, he's a thinker, so don't apply too many of the, you know, your swaggering macho cowboy stereotypes of the guy. Yes, he's from Amarillo. Yes, he's a country singer. Yes, he's a boot maker. But real uh, quiet, uh, soft-spoken dude. It was really great to meet him. Uh, when he wrote the song, it was even before Sod Poodles was officially picked as a name, but he liked that name the best and wanted to do his own thing. It, it did go viral locally. Uh, then he ended up going to Nashville uh, right before the season, recording with session musicians so that there was a ballpark version that could be played at the ballpark. So now if you go to a Sod Poodles game, you'll hear the studio version, which is more upbeat and obviously has you know a lot more musicians on it, background vocals, um, some horn section, all that. Um, that's played at uh, Hodgetown, the home of the Sod Poodles, in the seventh inning of every game, and then once again if they win. Uh, so you know, from a guy in his living room uh, just kind of riffing on a goofy team name, um, for that to turn into a legit anthem that uh, has a studio version played at the stadium, uh, I think is really cool. I love the song; it's legitimately catchy. Uh, I would sing it, but you know, you guys never seem to. We like can that. play it, but yeah, we'll we'll play it. We'll play it. And in the and in the milb.com story I wrote, and again, all my material can be found on milb.com/slash/bensbiz. Uh, in the milb.com story, I have a an exclusive version in which, uh, after interviewing Carson, we went to the ballpark during the day got the team to turn off the uh you know the uh, pa music that was taking place like as players were warming up and he did a uh solo version just on the concourse there and you know so there's some background noise and everything but i think it really speaks to the essence of the song and i'm proud um to have recorded that and to get that version of the sod poodles anthem into the world and um and i'm, I'm saying this legitimately um, if Carson releases more music, not just minor league theme music, um, I would be interested in listening to it. I think he's like a really good songwriter uh, with a unique voice and thoughtful guy. And I think there's a lot more where that came from. I mean, I really like his list of influences just to give anybody, you know, the, the type of idea of music we're talking about here. It's Lightning Hopkins. Jason Isbell was one of my favorite modern singers. Uh, and his number one influence is John Prine. So yeah. that kind of puts you in the state of mind for the type of singing work. But it works really, really well. He even listens, lists Steve Goodman, who did Go Cubs Go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, this just plugs right into He told me at one point, he said, I want to write the Go Cubs Go of Amarillo. You know, that's that's what he's going for. And Steve Goodman is a deeply respected songwriter above and beyond Go Cubs Go. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's when you are writing a ballpark anthem, that's a good influence to have. Absolutely. That was really fun. Uh, also, while you were in Amarillo, you wrote up this story, or you got this story anyways, about the fielding coach for the Sod Pools. Fielding coach is something that I think is starting to pick up steam in the minor leagues. It's not something that really started when we started. No, it's not something I'm f too familiar with, but you know, I was in El Paso and we talked about this a few weeks ago. I did a story on the Burkhart brothers, one of the, who are both on the Chihuahuas coaching right. staff. One of them, Morgan, is the fielding coach. And writing that, I was like, huh, fielding coach. Like, I've heard of it, but, yeah, you don't think of it as, you know, when you think of a team's announcing its coaching staff, you think, you know, manager, pitching coach, hitting coach, maybe a bullpen coach. But in the minors? In the minors, it's usually those three. Yeah. Uh, or it used to be anyways, and it's changing now. Um, and Freddie Flores is the fielding coach for the Amarillo side pools. But not only is he just that, not only is his job description interesting, the way he got there. It is fascinating. It includes independent ball. It includes softball, right? And it, yeah. And then it, it ends up at a double A coaching job. What, yeah. what did you learn from your talk with Freddie? Yeah. Well, what happened there is, uh, you know, some people on the Sod Poodles front office staff 
had said, oh, yeah, Freddy Flores, uh, it, when he was an independent league player, played in Amarillo, um, you know, at the old ballpark. And so I thought, ah, maybe as part of my larger Sob Poodles cover, uh, coverage, I'll just get a quote or two from Freddy Flores, um, you know, as someone with direct experience now working in the new ballpark Hodgetown who had previously played at the old one and get like a kind of compare and contrast quote or two for, for use in a larger story. But, you know, as you guys know, like when you start talking to people, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> like maybe this is a story. Maybe this is something. And uh, Freddie Flores, who's a real nice and open guy, we ended up chatting what I thought would just be a one or two minutes of just some incidental quotes. We ended up talking for 20 some minutes. And this is a guy who was not drafted out of college, always loved baseball, played at Division uh, two school in New Mexico, thought he would be drafted, wasn't, uh, went into independent ball. Uh, spent four years in independent ball. He ended up coaching softball at a Division II school, uh, first as an assistant and, uh, in New Mexico, and parlayed that into a head coaching job. And he said, you know, at the time I was 24, and that was a, a stable job, and I could have a home and a car. And he did that uh, for seven years as a head coach, and, you know, was pretty successful with that. One day in 2006, he is working on the field with his father, um, the softball field and his father tells him, you know, like, I think you've done everything you can with this softball coaching job. I think you kind of turn your back on baseball and I think you have more to give. And this sounds, you know, kind of like something a screenwriter would do trying to create a, a narrative arc. His father collapsed on the field shortly after that conversation and died that day. So now Freddie Flores says to himself, you know, that that was his final conversation with his father. And now he's, you know, been coaching for nine years, seven as a head coach. And so long story short, in his mid-30s, he grinds and hustles his way back into the independent leagues and spends all these years from basically between age 34 and 42 playing independent ball all over the country in some of those real ramshackle indie ball situations. One of the years in which he was in Amarillo playing at the old Amarillo ballpark, uh, Potter County Memorial Stadium, he was hired as the hitting coach and then later activated as a pitcher. So he was an active Jesus. pitcher on the roster, also the hitting coach. So he was all over the country, you know, Fargo, Bridgeport, El Paso, Abilene, uh, played uh, in the ABL, Tyler, uh, huh. World Stomping Ground in Melbourne, um, Lincoln, Nebraska, all over the place. Um, but then he gets offered a job in the Padres organization. You know, he had some connections with Logan White, who is now, I believe, Padres uh, – director of player development or some pretty high, uh, pretty, something pretty high up in the organization. Um, got a job at Lake Elsinore storm in 2017, spent 27 and 18 there. And now at the age of 45, after breaking into affiliated ball as a coach and at age 43, now at age 45, uh, he is the fielding coach for the sod poodles playing in Amarillo, a city in which he spent two seasons in independent ball and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, just one of those baseball journeys that I think baseball, I know every sport has a lot of people with stories that get overlooked. I think maybe baseball has the most of those stories. It feels like it to me. And I'm a big fan of those long and winding roads where people just love the game and all the cliches for the love of the game, keep grinding and just stay in it. And uh, Freddie Flores, uh, you know, someone who broke back into indie ball in his mid thirties and played into his forties um, to kind of, uh, pay homage to his father and his father's dying words is just a pretty interesting story. So I ended up not using a few incidental quotes. I ended up turning it into a feature and here we are. Some really cool stuff. It is up on the site right now at MILB.com. Ben is on Twitter at Ben's biz and uh, thanks man. We'll do it again next week. 
Thank you. I look forward to it. And quick little trip note. I'll be in Auburn on Friday, home of the Double Days, and Syracuse Mets on Saturday. They will be playing as the Butter Sculptures. So uh, not a road trip, but a little jaunt. So uh, hit me up if you're in central New York this weekend, and otherwise uh, we'll talk about it next week. Last segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Grayson Rodriguez for joining Sam from the Futures Game to Benjamin Hill as well. Uh, MILB.TV is your spot for all the best of minor league baseball as we head uh, toward the stretch run now. It's kind of crazy it is to think about that. But uh, Sam, what are you watching on uh, MILB TV this weekend? Yeah, well, I'll just throw out again that Mackenzie Gore will be making his uh, debut on Friday at Frisco for Amarillo. Um, I already gave you that one, so that, that's a freebie. The one I will add to that, which is also on Friday, so if you, uh, you know, you're not a big Padres fan, you don't decide you don't want to watch that one, at 6.30 on Friday, Jordan Balazovic, who was a Futures gamer over the weekend, got an inning in himself, will be playing at Bradenton, and Bradenton does have MILB.TV, so that's really your one chance to get to see Florida State League guys come through is when they play through Bradenton, so that, that'll be fun. Uh, not only that, Royce Lewis is on that Fort Myers team. He was also a Futures gamer over the weekend. Uh, Royce Lewis, since coming back from the Futures game, last I checked, the, the game is still happening uh, at recording time, but he is 5 for 10 with two homers since coming back from the Futures game. Very small sample, but for somebody who really had a disappointing first half and has said that himself and has tried to put the pieces back together and find what he was last year, uh, to see him turn it around like this is really interesting. And hopefully it carries forth and you'll get to watch in and check in on his progress yourself on Friday. Also in that game uh, will be Travis Swaggerty, uh, Pirates first round pick last year. Swaggerty really turning things around himself. He was the Florida State League Player of the Week last week, actually, and through eight games in July, he himself is 15 for 30 with a homer and two doubles. So not really much power there yet, but he's making tons of contact, uh, putting it into play, putting it in the right places, and showing off the bat that made him a first-round pick last year. Um, so tons of talent on the on the field for kind of a random FSL game in, in July, but that'll be coming up here on Friday. Uh, Tyler, what you got your eye on? Yeah, um, a guy who's kind of slipped off the radar for a lot of people this season is uh, Seattle Mariners number four prospect, Justice Sheffield. And uh, after spring training, we kind of heard, you know, he was going to Tacoma, but a good start there. He could be up in Seattle real quick. Obviously, had some time up with the New York Yankees last year before the trade that sent him to Seattle over the offseason. Uh, well, he went to Tacoma, 13 appearances there, 12 starts. The results were not good, a 6.87 ERA. The command disappeared. He walked 41 against 48 strikeouts and 55 innings. Mariners made the decision to send him down to double a Arkansas I think the most encouraging thing about him since he's been uh back in the Texas League uh is or in the Texas League back at the double a level is that his command has bounced back he's only walked seven against 34 strikeouts and 33 innings uh and over five starts a 1.36 ERA Justice Sheffield most recently started on the 9th of July for Arkansas against Northwest Arkansas so he should go if the rotation lines up all the same uh coming up on Sunday it's an evening game at Springfield for the Travelers. They'll take on uh, the Springfield Cardinals at 610 
Central Time, so 7.10 Eastern Time, uh, 4.10 Pacific Time for Mariners fans who are uh, in that area looking to watch on MILB.TV. But uh, a guy to keep an eye on because it seems like maybe he's getting it all put back together. So Justice Sheffield coming up this weekend for the Arkansas Travelers. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Again, you can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon, and thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.